This morning I'll be reading from Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Have you ever tried to put a jigsaw puzzle together, but you didn't have the box or the picture to know what it was supposed to look like? You know, most of us, when we do a puzzle, uh, we keep looking at the box, don't we? Maybe even prop it up so you can see it from time to time. But if you don't have the picture, if you don't have the box, then you don't know what you're making. You don't know, you're not sure what it's supposed to be about. Uh, I, I think about that, that you pick up the puzzle piece and, and you, you see it and you're trying to make sense of it. I remember when my children had little uh, wooden puzzles. They didn't have a box, you know, and you dump all the pieces out and they, you're hopeless. You know, you just had to look at the picture and try to figure it out and try to get the big picture. What we're doing over this year with our study of the story together is trying to get the big picture. And we've said this, and I'll say it again, that the story, this book, is not a replacement for the Bible. It's really a tool to help us do just that, to, to see the big picture. So every time we gather for a sermon or maybe a Bible class, maybe you're studying the Bible for yourself, you know, we're in a chapter or two. We put out a, a verse or two, and really what we're doing is we're just like pulling a piece of the puzzle out and, and saying, look at this. But we may not see the whole picture, the big picture. And I want us to be able to see the whole picture. The Bible has 66 books, 1,089 chapters. How does it all fit together? What is the big picture? That's what I want us to grasp. Now, every week as we go through this, we're asking you to read a chapter in the story. We're in chapter 2. That was your homework this week. As I was coming in, a couple of you confessed. I did my homework. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the story, that's okay. We're trying to put it at the bottom of your study guide. You can see there. You, you may prefer to read it out of your own Bible. Uh, but we want you to kind of read ahead and kind of let you be aware. Uh, by the way, if you haven't picked up your free copy, uh, we're providing every family with a copy. There's some in the foyer and out here at the Information Center and in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, if you want more than one, just grab as many as you want. Just put $5 per copy in the plate. Uh, we want you to be able to kind of read along with this. Um, another little housekeeping thing. Write your name in your copy. Believe it or not, they all look alike. And if last Sunday, there were about three left in the pews. And at that point, we just put them back in the pile. But if you underline or mark or whatever, you may want your copy back. So, so keep that in mind as well. Last week, last time, we talked about Adam and Eve. How when they sinned, God set into motion His plan for redeeming mankind. And this week, our, our lesson title is God Builds a Nation. And what we see is from this nation, from these people, the Messiah will come. It starts way back when. There are all kinds of people that we could study from this particular chapter, these um, portions of the word. There's Abraham, there's Isaac. We could talk a lot about Jacob and Esau. We could talk about Rachel and Rebecca. We could talk about Lot. We could talk about, talk about the birthright, the deception, the what happens in a family when you play favorites. There's no way we can cover it all. 
So today, if you're looking at your outline, you see we're going to kind of anchor down. We're going to focus on Abraham because he is very much a, a main person of the whole story. I mean, he, he occupies 13 chapters here in Genesis. That lets you know we need to know about Abraham. But even more than that, Abraham appears 75 times in the New Testament. We know about Abraham. You read a lot about him throughout the story of God. When you get the big picture, you see Abraham's face. You see his story. We know Abraham was first known as Abram. And Sarah, I don't know anybody who really knows how to say Sarah, I, is that how you pronounce that? But as they grew in their walk with God, he changed their names Open your Bibles, Bibles to Genesis 12. The verses are going to be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, this is where we pick up the story of Abraham. But even so, a lot happens between uh, where we left off in, in Genesis 10 and, and where we pick up in Genesis 12. You've, you, you, you have Noah and the flood, that wrapping up in, in chapter 10. You've got the Tower of Babel, and then in chapter 11, you've got the genealogy. All these names that are listed, this long list of names that shows us how Abraham is the descendant of Noah's son, Shem. Depending on which timeline you follow, it's about at least 400 years pass between these two. So God calls out to Abraham to get on the move. Look at the reading here. Genesis chapter 12, first several verses. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God is going to make a great nation through Abraham. If you flip over a couple of chapters, chapter 15, verse 5, God takes Abraham outside and this is where we read. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What a promise. So shall your offspring be. As countless as the stars. You're going to be the father of a great nation, God says to Abraham. So we're reading this story about God building this nation, but what we know off the bat is there's some problems. There's some challenges. Well, for one thing, if you study a little bit about Abraham, you learn that he's not from the best family line. Yes, he comes through uh, uh, Noah. We, we get that. But Joshua 24 tells us that Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol worshiper. So his family background is not necessarily stellar. Kind of an unusual choice for God to pick him. But then also, and what we think of mostly, is that Abraham and Sarah, were well, they're this elderly couple. And let me add this elderly, infertile couple. They don't have children. They're old. They've not had any. And God's plan is to build a nation through them. Now, if we're so familiar with the story, just kind of back up a little bit and let that sink in. That's crazy. That's absurd. Why would God pick this couple? One author said this, can you envision the angels in heaven knowing that God's going to build a nation going, looking around going, oh look, there's a young couple. Oh, they're healthy and vibrant. They're just getting started. Pick them. And God says, no, what about that couple? And they're saying, the one with walkers? Yeah. Let's pick them. I mean, it makes no sense. Why would God pick them? 
to tell his story. But he does just that. And what I want you to get is here early on, here we're in Genesis chapter 12, barely getting started with the story. And you're going to see a theme that happens from beginning to end. That God uses the unlikely. God uses the downcast. God uses the unusual. God uses the one that nobody else would choose. Abraham was old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist, well, he was just weird. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had all these failed marriages. Thomas had his doubts. Paul was in poor health. Timothy was timid. Why would God pick all these people? All these that had problems. All these that, that weren't perfect. All these that had their, their issues. It's not who we would expect. It's not who we would choose. But it's the one God chooses over and over again. The question is why? Why does God choose people like that? These imperfect, unlikely people. And we know the answer. It's because it's when they are old and infertile, when God builds a nation through them, it's His glory that shines. It's not their own accomplishment. Oh, what do you expect? They're 25 years old and, and they're just getting started and they're healthy. Of course they're going to have children and bunches of them. That's what you do. But not when you're 75 or 100. God's strength has an opportunity to shine through our weakness. And so for everyone who doesn't feel like you're not qualified to be a part of his story, God would remind you here in Genesis 12, you missed the point. When we say, you know, it's too late for me. You know, I've made too big of a mess. I'm not from the right family. I didn't grow up going to church. I had my chances and I blew them. Maybe I don't have the right resources or gifts or, or the right talents. But you look at Abraham and Sarah, and what you see is God can use anybody. And sometimes even the most unlikely. And it may not make the most sense on paper. But ultimately, God has the opportunity to be glorified. So this nation is built by using this elderly, infertile couple. And again, we can fast forward and see it today. A church can thrive, not because all the people that are part of that congregation have their act together and they're perfect, but it's that widow who prays faithfully. It's that plant manager who just so gives of himself and his heart that people know that Jesus is living in him. It's that, it's that single mother who works 40 hours a week and still is able to be generous with her meager income. Those are the people that God uses to build. The broken pieces. The unusual, the damaged pieces. Because He can. So we study Abraham and Sarah. And we look at him and think, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But there's something about Abraham that just stands out from the beginning. And we mentioned it in our prayer. And you know it already. It's faith. That's what I want us to kind of camp on and, and, and really draw from our, our story today. Abraham's story is a story of faith. And I want you to get this too. As we're opening this book and we're trying to start at the beginning and get the overall story is... We learn a lot about doctrine. We learn a lot about theology. But over and over in Scripture, we don't learn these through definition or through lecture. We learn them through God telling us a story. So when God wants to teach us about faith, He says, see exhibit A, and it's Abraham. 
And this is his story. So let's look at it together. Abraham, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, as we just read, God tells him, I want you to take your family and move to a place. Well, I'll tell you about that later. And you stop and think about that, what God is asking them to do to, at age 75, pick up everything. Now, some of you have been there or you're close to there. 75, can you imagine picking up everything, moving, leaving home, everything you've ever known, and starting over? That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, you know, we talk about change being hard, but imagine at age 75, it had to be difficult for them. Or maybe they're thinking, you know, I've got some friends in Florida. They kind of like it. Maybe God will send me to Florida. You know, what were they thinking? All kinds of objections had to come to mind. All kinds of reasons why this wasn't a part of their plan. But God had a different plan. God says, I want you to go. I want you to notice in your Bibles there, Genesis 12, verse 4, we read this very simple verse about Abraham's faith. So Abram left. He got up and left. Not a lot of questions, no objections. Here's this elderly man, takes his wife and leaves. They don't know where they're going. In Hebrews 11, 8, the great faith chapter of the Bible, we mention how Abraham keeps appearing even in the New Testament. This is one of those times in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. What I want us to do on those long blanks on your study guide is just fill in some definitions straight out of Scripture. And here's the first one, that faith is obeying God even when you don't know where you're going. That's what Abraham and Sarah did. Abraham obeys God. He takes action. The questions are not all answered. He doesn't know everything is going to work out just right. He doesn't even know where he's going. But he knows what God has asked of him and he obeys. It doesn't make sense to him, but he obeys. He responds to God's call. He doesn't put it off. He does it. One of my favorite stores in all of Nashville is McKay's Used Bookstore. You ever been there? Love that place. And I always find myself getting just kind of lost in one section or another. There's like a whole section of home improvement books. And i got a couple of them. And maybe you've got some at home too. You know, and there's a, a page or two on plumbing. Or there's, you know, here's how you replace a window. Here's how you do a hot water heater. Here's all these little things. But those kind of books are not read for enjoyment, are they? Those are not your coffee table books. The reason you read those books is you want to learn how to do a project. And then you want to get up off the sofa and get it done, right? That's why you have those books. That's what their purpose is. To get the project done. But here is what we can sometimes do with Scripture. We can just read a story and just go, well, wasn't that interesting? And turn the page. But what we see Abraham here is he gets up off the sofa and he gets at it. He hears the word from God and he responds. He obeys. I put this on your study guide. It's not just about learning. It's about living. That's what the story is about. It's not just about knowing all these people and what they did. It's to make a difference in our lives. It's not just information, it's application. So God says, I want you to get up and move, but I'm not going to tell you where. So Abraham says, okay. And he packs his bag and he starts moving. Abraham, again, could have had all kinds of objections. Been married to his wife for decades. They still don't have any children. He's old at this point. 
But again, Genesis 15, 6, it just simply says, Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord. God put this in the story for us to take note of that. He obeyed. He believed. The circumstances didn't give him a lot of confidence. There was nothing about the situation that made him be able to look at it and say, I think this is going to work. It was his faith in God. Again, over in the New Testament, look at Romans 4, verse 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. It didn't make any sense. It was, to quote here Paul in Romans 4, it was against all hope. Didn't make sense. So that's the second blank. Can we define faith that way? That faith is believing God against all hope. There's an important question. And so much of your own story comes down to how you answer that one simple question. Do I believe God? Do I believe God? You can read the Bible and these amazing things that happen, but the real question that God wants to know from you Do I believe God? You didn't get the job you applied for. You didn't get into the school that you wanted to get into. Do you believe that God can still work for good in all things? Maybe you struggle with generosity and giving isn't easy. Like most of us, you can fall into this whole worldly consumerism of being greedy and selfish. But do you believe God? Do you believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? Do you believe that when you give that you are laying up treasures in heaven? Do you believe God? Sometimes I help counsel with couples that are dealing with troubles and especially if there's been some kind of sexual sin. And it really comes down to this. Sometimes the discussion boils down to that. Do I believe God? Do I believe God has the best plan for my marriage? Period. Do I believe that? Do I believe He knows what's best for me? Do I really believe Him? One minister told about visiting a couple in the hospital. They had a stillborn daughter. It was a dark moment. And he walked into the room and all the lights were out. It was a dark room and he didn't know what to do. And so he looked up and he saw this young father holding the body of his daughter. And he went over just to kneel beside her to pray. But before he could say a word, this young father said this, I guess it's time to find out what I really believe. I guess it's time to find out what I really... Do I really believe God? Maybe you had some moments like that where it was a moment of truth. What do I really believe? Do I really believe that Jesus is coming back? Do I really believe that I'll one day be reunited with those who've gone on before? Do I really believe that He's the answer? What do I really believe? 
So Abraham believes God against all hope. Here's the third one. Faith is not believing that God will do whatever I want Him to do. Faith is not believing that God will do whatever I want Him to do. And sometimes we get this confused, you know. Like if I believe in God, then, then I'll pray and ask. And because I believe in God, then He's going to give me what I want. That's not biblical faith. Now we think that way, and sometimes we live that way, but we don't read of that in Scripture. Biblical faith is believing that God will do what He said He will do. That's biblical faith. And Abraham models that for us here. He has faith in God, again, against all hope. You keep reading in Genesis, you get to chapter 16, and here's what's happening. Abraham and Sarah, they believe in God, but they're just not convinced of His timing. He seems to be sitting on His hands. They believe in God, but they feel like they need to help Him along a little bit. So Sarah decides God needs to get on the move. You ever make that mistake? You know, he says he's going to work it out for good, but sometimes we feel the need to open the door or, or do something kind of to spur it along. It gets us in trouble every time. And Sarah does the same thing. She comes up with a plan. Look there in Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, Sarah, the Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And then we learn of Abraham's response to this, this request. Very simply, the Bible says, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. He agreed. That's all we read. Sarah has a, it, she, she conceives and not surprisingly, uh, I mean, Hagar conceives and Sarai gets bitter and starts acting out toward her. And, and we're not surprised by that. Eventually, Hagar is sent out in the wilderness, pregnant and alone, cries out to God. All kinds of problems happen when we get out ahead of God and try to make things happen. Now, they're committed to God's destination, but they're not necessarily willing to wait. And they're having to wait. But they don't like waiting. So they've taken matters in their own hands and it gets us in trouble the same thing. You know, I was thinking about this and I put this on your study guide. If you were to, and we talk about the story and our own story, if you were to have a title of your story, what would the title be? Let me make a couple of suggestions. A number of titles that could reflect maybe the, the uh, comments or the contents of your story. The first one is simply this, no way. You could title your book, No Way. Here's what I want. God says, this is my plan for you. And you just say, no, no way. Not going to do that. Just utter rebellion. Or another title could be Halfway. God says, this is what I want for you. And you say, well, I like some of that, but not all of that. And so I'm going to do it halfway. Or another title for our stories could be My Way. You know, I'm committed to doing what God says, but I want to do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra used to sing that song, I did it my way. And Willard, uh, Willard Tate used to say, well, big deal. What if you did it wrong? We boast about doing it our own way. This is what we see in Sarah and Abraham. They get ahead of God. They do things their way. It causes all kinds of trouble. But Hagar gives birth to a son. The Bible says his name is Ishmael. And God says, I'm going to make a nation of him as well. Because this is Abraham's son also. 
And Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. In Genesis 16, 12, God speaks of Ishmael. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. We see all the way back in Genesis 16, Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. Abraham, we know the story, has, has a son named Isaac. Isaac is the father of the Jewish nation, which becomes the father of the Christian nation as well. And even now, 4,000 years later, we turn on the news, we open the paper, and we see this tension between Iran and Israel. We see Ishmael not getting along with his brothers. And we want to know, where did it begin? Why is this going on? You open the story, God's story, and we see the this is not a current day problem. This is an ancient problem. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Maybe another title you could put for our story is this. You say, God, it's your way. And God, show me what that is. And I'm going to walk by faith. It's complete surrender. God, here's the pen. You write the story and I'll live it. What Abraham is known most for is in Genesis 22. You can flip your Bibles over there. I'll put it on the screen in a moment. But this is God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's one of those times where you just keep reading. You just keep reading. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, the Bible says. Now, we know it's a test, but Abraham didn't understand that at the time. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. This is about a three-day journey on foot. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now we know, I mean we're just opening the Bible here, but we already know this goes against everything God stands for. To, to kill a child? So why would God have him do this? Why the request? But here's what we read of Abraham. Look in verse 3. It simply says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. The same Abraham that got up and left. It's the same Abraham with that obedient faith. Again, you have to love the faith here. Early the next morning. But it's a three-day journey. There's a lot of time to question and doubt and wonder. Why? Why is He asking this? Especially when through this Son is going to come this great nation. It makes no sense to Abraham. But he keeps walking. He keeps making progress. They finally get to the region of Moriah. Abraham says to his servants there, look in Genesis 22 verse 5. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I want to draw your attention to that last phrase. We will worship and we will come back to you. Do you hear the faith there? That we will worship and we will come back. The writer of Hebrews sheds a little light on that. So that Abraham reasoned to himself that God could bring his son back to life. I mean, this is Abraham who had this child at 100 years of age. And if that can happen, that's a miracle. So if, if he's dead, God can bring him back to life. Abraham's already thinking that way. You know, he didn't say, you know, the son and I will go worship and I will return. He said, we will return. He doesn't know how God's going to make it happen, but he believes God is going to make it happen. 
So number four, faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. Faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. And Abraham shows us what that looks like. Genesis 22, look in verse 6 and following. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to the father, Abraham, said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Then they reached the place that God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. I want to push pause here for a second and just point out one pronoun in these verses. You may have already noticed it. Maybe you circled it in your Bible. But look at that sentence. I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son. Who's speaking here? The text tells us an angel of the Lord. But yet he's identifying himself as God. Shouldn't he say you've not withheld him from God or withheld him from him? But it says me. See, this angel of the Lord is not Michael. This is not Gabriel. This angel of the Lord, who is it? Is this not Jesus incarnate or God the Spirit on the scene? Revealing Himself to Abraham. We'll read a lot about the angel of the Lord coming on the scene in the Old Testament on a number of different times. The angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, you've not withheld your only son from me. Look at verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. His son Isaac grew up to marry Rebekah. They had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. God starts to move the story along a lot more quickly. Building the nation. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. But here's what we need to understand. Here's what I want us to get. What we have here in these opening chapters of Genesis is a literary term called foreshadowing. Do you remember studying that in school? It's when the author gives you a hint of something that is to come later. And if you're reading for the first time, you don't get it. But then when you get to it later, you remember that I've read about that. I've heard about that. And that happens here. God does that. Why does God make Abraham travel 50 miles to Moriah? I mean, surely there was another place where the sacrifice could have happened. Mount Moriah. What do we know of Moriah? That's where Jerusalem would become a great city. Moriah, what else do we know? It's those hills. And one of those hills in Moriah is Golgotha. We know what happened at Golgotha. Do you see the foreshadowing here? As God says to Abraham, 
to sacrifice His Son. He's showing us this sneak peek. Thousands of years later, God's going to do the same thing with His own Son at the same place. What a story. But I wonder if there's times... Have you ever done a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, and you get to the end and you're missing a piece? Does that happen to you? I remember one time that happened with us, and I remember telling Celia that if you turn a piece of the puzzle over, it's that grayish tan kind of color. That's the exact same color of our den carpet. Yours too? You know, it just hides. And yeah, you can see the big picture, but your eyes go to what's missing. Could that be how God sees the story? He wants everybody to be saved. But there's these spots where you are supposed to be a part of His story. And you've not got up yet. You've not said, God, I believe. You've not answered His call to be baptized. To change your life. The Bible calls that repentance. To let Him make you a new creation. To join His story. Because one day it's going to all boil down to do I believe? What do I believe? We're going to sing this song to encourage you. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, confess that. Or if we can pray for you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?